you're just tuning in, we've asked you to make sure you get your um, something to eat, something to drink as we share communion in a few moments, uh, because this is World Communion Sunday. And so I want to get you thinking about meals that you've uh, prepared or meals that you've shared as we get ready to, um, to have this meal together. It's World Communion Sunday, and it seems odd to celebrate this meal virtually from afar. We remember a whole meal that Jesus shared with his closest people, with his disciples, and we remember that whole meal with a bite and a sip, because that's really enough to remember, just a bite, just a sip. But of all Sundays, of all communions, this one feels like we should be together. So I'm glad we can at least be together in this way, because good meals are meant to be shared. I can honestly say that I pour out my love and affection in cooking. I wish you could be inside my head so that you would know how many of my thoughts center around food. And not just because I like to eat, but center around food in preparation for other people. I like to think through the colors that will be on the plate. I like to think, think through tastes that will complement each other. I like one cold thing among the hot things, but then I spend a lot of time figuring out how to make all the hot things come out hot at the same time. One of my pet peeves is when I call people to the table, if they don't instantly come right that second, it just sends me over the edge because I have everything just right in that moment. And I like for people to come running. I like to think through everyone's favorites so that everyone has something that they can look forward to taking a bite of on their plate. I spend a lot of time thinking about food and nothing makes me happier than when someone goes back for seconds. I think one thing that we've all missed during this pandemic is the simple act of sharing a meal together. I think that's what I'm feeling on this World Communion Sunday. Dan asked us to remember a favorite communion meal. Well, I've been thinking all week about favorite meals that I have prepared and cooked. There was the time that I made chicken fajitas on a Coleman camping stove for 70 people on a Coleman camping stove. 70 people at Old Faithful, at a campsite at Old Faithful, when Russ and I worked there supervising college students who were serving as summer missionaries. The students had jobs at Old Faithful and they would invite friends that they had met to come with them to this uh, devotion time and just fun and fellowship time. And I made those chicken fajitas and. When I think back on the details of how I did that, I have no idea how I did that. I would never tackle something like that now. And then I think back to that Thanksgiving feast that I prepared for about 20 people in our seminary village apartment that was all of about 700 square feet and it was not, there was not room for one person in the kitchen, much less more than one. I don't know how I pulled that off either. I remember cooking the turkey where the, the button pops out when it tells you that it's done. It was the first turkey I'd ever made. And then there was the time that I thought it would be a great idea to cook a home-cooked meal for 400 youth and chaperones at University in Knoxville, Tennessee 
because the theme that week was there's room at the table and it just seemed like we should all sit down and eat one good meal together and I said I know I'll cook it I don't know what I was thinking that day that I said that but I, it, I pulled it off I cooked all of Jackson's favorite foods on the Sunday of his baptism and then a few years later I cooked all of Bennett's favorite foods on the Sunday of his baptism and both times we gathered family on our very large back patio and realized that the foods did not go together like I like for them to go together but on that day on those days it didn't matter because favorite foods are made for special days even if they don't go together and then there was the all hands on deck to host a couple of rehearsal dinners for my nephews and then there was the all aunts bridesmaids luncheon for my niece so many special meals and so many wonderful memories and so many funny stories tied up in all of the food preparation like the time that i made the apple cranberry oatmeal casserole that's really 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 loaded with sugar and butter because you know cranberries and apples need sugar and butter in order for them to be good and we were hosting this big meal i was cooking it with my uh sister and sister-in-law and I as I took the pan out of the oven I dumped it in the floor and I just quickly without thinking scooped it up and put it back in the pan and served it because there was no time to serve something else and then there was that time I was making this huge pot of white chili at the lake everybody was at the lake and it was uh, fall it was getting cooler and so I made this big pot of white chili and out of nowhere one of those huge black roach bugs I mean just out of nowhere just flew into the pot of white chili and I just promptly without even thinking twice took a took a spoon and and put it out of the pot and I served it and nobody even knew now if you're feeling nervous about my cooking standards I want to tell you that I've now told you about the only two times that I failed a sanitation grade I promise you normally I do not dip food off of the floor and serve it to people and normally I do not dip bugs out of my food and serve it to people but desperate times call for desperate measures in those two situations and then there was the time that I thought hey I'll cook Wednesday night suppers for everybody because that'll save the church money and people like good home cooking and then Johnny Doyle stepped in and served with me for years as the best sous chef ever it was the D and D diner, Dean and Doyle, though we all know Johnny wanted to call it the double D diner, but we knew that was inappropriate. I miss those days in the kitchen with Johnny, truly some of my happiest and most favorite memories in 20 years of ministry. And then there was just this last Christmas when I had the bright idea, I know I'll make a jar of preserves for everybody in the church. Most of the time I get to the moment and think, what was I thinking? And then during cleanup, I think, I'm so glad we did that. Usually my best ideas land me in the kitchen. If you follow in the way of Jesus, it is not uncommon to end up in the kitchen. His first miracle was at a wedding reception. He fed the 5,000 with a measly little bit of fish and bread. He broke bread with outcasts and got in trouble for it. And the kingdom of heaven is often compared to a great banquet. And then on the night he was betrayed, he shared a meal with his closest friends and he told them to always remember him. With every meal, remember him. 
And this reminds me that at the chicken fajita campground dinner at Old Faithful, he was there. And at the baptism of my sons, he was there. At the rehearsal dinners and the bridesmaids luncheons and at youth camp, he was there. And at that tiny apartment Thanksgiving, he was there. And at all the Wednesday night suppers and in all the shared jars of jelly and in all the pots of soup and all the many, many cakes baked, he has been there. And today, even as we are apart, he is here and he is there. And for that, I'm grateful. I always love the work of Jan Richardson. She's written a beautiful blessing for World Communion Sunday entitled, And the Table Will Be Wide. The scripture that she uses for this blessing is from Mark chapter 10. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And he took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. Hear now her table blessing. And the table will be wide, and the welcome will be wide, and the arms will be open wide to gather us in, and our hearts will be open wide to receive. And we will come as children who trust there is enough, and we will come unhindered and free, and our aching will be met with bread, and our sorrow will be met with wine, and we will open our hands to the feast without shame, and we will turn toward each other without fear, and we will give up our appetite for despair, and we will taste and know delight, and we will become bread for a hungering world, and we will become drink for those who thirst, and the blessed will become a blessing, and everywhere will be the feast. May it be so. Amen. If I'm old enough to have been the pastor of Park Road Baptist Church for 20 years, thank you for these beautiful flowers and for 20 beautiful years. If I'm that old, I was old enough to have been a teenager in the 1980s. Oh my goodness. And if you were a teenager in the 1980s, you have had at least to have had a little fascination with archaeology. And that's because Harrison Ford had starred in four blockbuster movies featuring a nerdy archaeologist named Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones became a household name in the 1980s and a rock star in Raiders of the Lost Ark. The archaeologists traveled the globe fighting Nazis and evil villains from the four corners of the earth, solving one amazing riddle after another, making uncanny discoveries, unearthing hidden treasures, translating secret messages, archaeology. So cool. Now, somewhat less exciting than any Indiana Jones discovery was the finding of a document called the Didache. Finding this short text, whose title means the teaching, the Didache, the teaching, this paled in comparison to an Indiana Jones find. There was no hidden treasure, nothing buried in a long-forgotten cave. There were no beautiful women to rescue, no dangerous chases with bad guys. The Didache was discovered in a library. A priest 
the Greek Orthodox Metropolitan named Philotheos Brienios was doing research in the library of the Jerusalem Monastery of the Most Holy Sepulchre when he found a book that no one knew was there. The Didache is a catechism that is an instruction manual for Christian living. And scholars knew about it because it was referenced in many other ancient documents. Now, thanks to Google, you can now bring a copy of this first century document into your very own home. If you want to find the Didache, you can Google it this afternoon. But when Philotheos took it off the dusty shelves in 1883, he was the first to have seen it, maybe for a few centuries. According to a commentary by Kurt Niederwimmer, the Didache exhibits fascinating echoes of Jesus' teaching, along with rare glimpses into the life of an early Christian community. An early Christian community. Now, for a lot of my life, I thought there was just one Christian community. Jews believed one thing, Muslims believed another, but Christians had the answer, and I thought all Christians were one. Well, I've been wrong about a lot of things. You can ask Amy about that. But there may be nothing I've been wronger about in all my life. There is not one Christianity. There never has been. Bart Ehrman's book, Lost Christianity, Christianities, plural, Lost Christianities, describes the wide variety of belief in the early church. Following Jesus' death, as his good news spread across the, the Middle East, as a new religion was being nurtured in a womb of persecution, doctrines were being formed, and those Christian beliefs were across the map. Was Jesus born of a virgin? Was he divine? Was he the Son of God? Was he coming again? Was he the only way to salvation? To all of those questions and more, the church said yes. And to all of those questions and more, the church said no. There is not one Christianity, and there never has been. Now fast forward 300 years to the religious conversion of the leader of the Roman Empire, a history-changing figure named Constantine, and you can chart the course for what retired Harvard professor Harvey Cox has called the age of belief. After Constantine ironically became a Christian, he called bishops together from around the empire. And by the end of that century, several major religious councils had determined orthodox doctrine, virgin birth, divinity of Jesus, atonement, trinity, second coming. In the history books, it was said, this is what Christianity looks like. But if you think a majority vote taken by a bunch of preachers settled those questions, if you think those bishops all went home unified in their convictions, and if you think Christianity has been a harmony of belief ever since, you are not listening. Harvey Cox's 2009 book, The Future of Faith, outlines three ages of Christianity. 
The first 300 years, those struggling years of giving birth to Christianity, he calls the age of faith. The 1,700 years that have followed Constantine's conversion, he names the age of belief. But Cox cites evidence from Christianities around the world that we are moving into an age no longer tethered to the literal words of long-dead bishops. We are moving, he says, into an age freed by God's Spirit, which always blows where it will. All births come with labor pains, but Cox says we are slowly moving into the age of the Spirit. A new church is being born. And his insight explains why the fundamental, fundamentalism of today's intractable evangelicals, the fears that wed that one part of the Christian church to authoritarian interpretations and leaders. Now, I don't know about you, but an age of the Spirit sounds like a breath of fresh air. Today, we gather for world communion. Christians around the globe are sharing the oldest tradition we have, a simple meal shared around the common table. A table of fellowship and sharing has the divine potential to bridge the differences that keep us apart we have never needed the spirit of world communion more than we need it today. So maybe it's an appropriate time to be reminded that Christians have never walked in lockstep. Christians do not agree on cultural expressions. Christians do not speak the same language. Christians do not have the same worship styles. Christians do not agree on the best way to govern ourselves, the best systems for economics or politics. Christians don't even agree on some of our most fundamental religious beliefs. Christians don't agree, and we don't have to. The Spirit of God created our diversity, and God is in every expression of that diversity. If only we could learn to celebrate Back to Philotheos, that Greek priest, just a moment. The Didache, he found, was an instruction manual, probably written around the end of the first century, maybe for a Christian community in Syria. It included instructions for prayer and worship, for baptism and communion. Now, for most Christians, the liturgy of communion symbolizes the sacrificial death of Jesus. Bread and wine become body and blood. But for that part of the early church, there was no atonement theology at all in communion. It was just a meal shared as a reminder of God's presence, bringing us together through Jesus. As we celebrate today, this different day, as we celebrate communion in this different way, now is an appropriate time to be reminded that even communion has been practiced and understood differently across the life of the Christian church. Now, Park Road Baptist Church will not change its communion practice completely. The symbolism of Christ's sacrificial love is important for the church, for we are the body of Christ. 
And we need to be reminded that the world needs our sacrificial love also. But this day, this day calls for celebration and unity. So we want to invite you to participate in communion in the manner of this one part of the Christian church from so long ago. Here is the instruction given in the Didache to that Christian community concerning the Eucharist. Give thanks this way. First, concerning the cup. We thank you, our Father, for the holy vine of David, your servant, which you made known to us through Jesus, your servant. To you be the glory forever. Next, concerning the broken bread, we thank you, our Father, for the life and knowledge which you made known to us through Jesus, your servant. To you be the glory forever. Even as this broken bread was scattered over the hills and was gathered together and became one, so let your church be gathered together from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. To you is the glory and the power through Jesus Christ forever. In these next few moments, Mark is going to play, and we want to invite you in your room, in your place, by yourself or with your family, to enjoy your communion. Our staff will come together, and we will share together. Take the cup first, as the Didache instructs. Take the cup, and then take the bread Talk together if there are people in the room with you. Laugh, share, remember, give thanks in your heart, or speak a prayer out loud that across our differences, even as we are scattered, God brings us together in miraculous ways. Earlier in this service, Dan asked you to reflect on meaningful moments you have experienced in communion in these next few moments, as we have our communion together, if you would like to share a word or a phrase related to those reflections, post them on the Facebook feed and let us grow together as we share together. As the Didache said so long ago, even as this broken bread was scattered over the hills and was gathered together and became one, so let your church be gathered together even now. May it be so. Amen.